this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Unsympathetic intellects slowly and surely drew their plans against us. It is Foreign Invader with Conrado Falco III. Welcome to Foreign Invader. My name is Conrado Falco III. And this is the podcast about the pop culture that is corrupting American life. Every episode, we take a piece of pop culture that originated in not the United States of America and talk about its impact on our country and our lives. Today, we are talking about the very special subject, one of the most famous movie stars around the world and definitely one of the most iconic martial arts movie stars ever. A man known for incredible life-threatening stunts, a long and respectable career as an actor and director in Hong Kong, a somewhat less successful crossover career in America, and lately, an eyebrow-raising renaissance at the mainline Chinese box office. We're talking, of course, about the one and only Jackie Chan, and I have to thank my guest for suggesting this topic to begin with. You might remember him from our bonus podcast about Zack Snyder's Justice League, one of our most popular episodes, by the way, I'm glad to have him on as an official guest of an official episode of the podcast, the great film critic, Christopher Mello. Chris, how's it going? I'm, I'm glad to be here officially. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. There, there, there was nothing official about Zack Snyder's Justice League or our conversation about it. It was the movie people didn't want you to see and the podcast people didn't want you to hear. But yeah people they want you to hear this one hey we were bad boys then but now uh, we're doing things the official way through the official uh, damn. channels I, now i wish michael bay was from somewhere else <laughs> um that's right so i'm let's start by me asking you what i ask everyone who comes on the show officially which i didn't do last time which is where are you from and where do you grow up um so i am from uh long island new york specifically a little village called freeport um and you know it's i've always been very close to new york city but on the outside of it to the point where like you know going into the city would be a to-do you know mm. you would have to spend money to get to where all the good stuff was right 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 and what are some uh cliches about uh, long island that you would like to you know deny or confirm Oh, I'll confirm all of them. They're all true. <laughs> um, so some things that are true about Long Island that everybody knows. Um, there's a good deal of racism, both in the ongoing like community of Long Island, but also in its in the creation of modern Long Island. I mean, mm. the highway system out here was designed by Robert Moses, who intentionally made the bridges too low so that public buses couldn't get from the inner city to the beaches out here. Right. Uh, we do have good beaches, you know. Um, it's a place of really horrible income inequality. Like Nassau County, where I live, is one of the wealthiest counties per capita in the world, but we have right next to those communities, dirt poor communities. Like I live currently in a town called Carl Place, right next to uh, me is a town called Westbury. And Westbury has a, a pretty like bad school district, but within Westbury, there's a community called Old Westbury, which is just extreme wealth. Um, mm. A lot of celebrities live there. I don't know where, and I don't know exactly who all the time. I know Jennifer Lopez had a house there for a while. 
Um, and it, it's very much one of those things where you never see those people, not just because they're celebrities, but because they're not part of the communities, but they just hmm. keep their wealth here. So there's that. Um, and that's kind of one of the things that I feel most strongly about about Long Island is how bad that shit is. But then there's a, a few other things like we all love Billy Joel. Uh, I don't know if that's true for me. Um, Billy Joel's great. I definitely know, uh, like growing up, I knew older women who were associated with like my mother's friends who like said that they fucked Billy Joel. Oh, wow. Uh, and that, that feels like a very Long Island thing where it's like, yeah, I know somebody who slept with <laughs> Billy like Joel really once. Um, but the <laughs> there's like the one thing that I wanted to say on this podcast about Long Island is that it's, in some ways a magical land of delis mm. like no matter where you are on long island there are at least two delicatessens on that block and like it's never hard to get a good sandwich wherever you are um and i think that's something that like obviously manhattan and the boroughs have a deli and bodega culture mm -hmm. um, but outside of new york that doesn't really exist and it's one of the reasons why i couldn't leave New York specifically, I don't think, because there's something about, you know, I, so on my block, I have two delis within like a very short walk for Sunday morning bacon, egg and cheese, which I do pretty much every Sunday morning. And I was going to one and then they started flying a blue lives matter flag. And I was like, I don't want to support this place anymore, which it's long Island. It's hard not to support <laughs> places that fly blue lives matter flags. Right. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'll go to the other one that is an equal distance in the other direction from my apartment that makes sandwiches that are just as good. Uh, like there is just so many, there are so many options here if you want to get like a chicken cutlet on some bread with some cheese on it. Uh, yeah. And that's, honestly, I didn't have much of a social life in high school. And after that, I spent most of my time in Manhattan and Brooklyn. So the one thing that I feel like connects me to Long Island is going to all these delis and calling everybody who works their boss. Oh, say, yeah. Classic, classic deli behavior. And, you know, yeah, nobody can argue absolutely. with a deli sandwich. They're, when it's good, it's good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and like sometimes you're like, I got a bunch of turkey on this bread and I paid $11 for it. But you know what? No one else would give me this much turkey on this bread. <laughs> yeah. Um, so since we're on the topic, what would you say was the most American thing about your childhood? Oh, um, hmm. Uh, it, I mean, my childhood was pretty classically American. I grew up in a household that was pretty conservative. Um, we, like, my father really liked sports, uh, really liked baseball. Mm -hmm. um, and I think even... Like my diet was American to a fault to the point where I became sort of a picky eater because like my favorite food and my favorite food still is like hamburgers. Oh, like, love a hamburger. We would eat so many hamburgers. And now I, now in my adult life, I've gotten really good at making hamburgers. Uh, so that persists. But I would, I would say the amount of hamburgers I, I ate as a child is probably the most American thing <laughs> about my childhood. Um, and then the other thing is just like, um, I don't know, growing up in a town like Freeport that is basically segregated by a highway, uh, 
like you know a lot of the times the most american thing about any american's life is the bad shit uh mm -hmm. and you know i grew up near the water and it was kind of you could describe it in i don't know this is a really tough question for me uh, i don't spend a lot of time thinking about my childhood that much i feel like my first 18 years of life i just kind of wandered through and then i woke up one day and i was like oh that all happened fair enough should we get into jackie sure Study him, my heart. Rich in a fever pigeon, bring me me order, dar. Finally, I can see you crystal clear. Go in and sell me, Ale, Ale, your ship there. See how I live with every place of you. Don't underestimate the things I would do. That's a fire, study in my heart. So, Jackie Chan, when did we first notice him? Because my experience wasn't the best first impression. I was, whenever Rush Hour came out, that must have been like 90, mm -hmm. late 90s. So I was probably like about seven or so. They took me to the movie theater to see this movie. My older cousins were going and they took me along. This was back in Peru. Went to see Rush Hour. Told me it was going to be a fun movie. It was in English with subtitles. I was too young to read subtitles at the time. So I didn't understand anything. And while there was some fighting, I was pretty much bored. And I was like, not for me. Kind of turned around a little bit with Jackie Chan Adventures. I don't know if you ever saw that cartoon, which I remember being pretty good. And that got me into Jackie Chan, but then, so then I was curious, and then the tuxedo came out, so I went to see the tuxedo, and that's a <laughs> terrible movie, so I took, It's a terrible movie. And that took me off Jackie Chan again, until much later, when I discovered that he had a whole career in Hong Kong that I wasn't really aware of, that it brought me back. I don't know how it was for you. Yeah, so, um, growing up in my household, like, movies weren't really a thing. Um, we would go sometimes, and we would see whatever. I think I... I may have mentioned this the last time I was on, but like my dad and I, we would go see like uh, James Bond movies and he would bring me to like cartoons or whatever. And then later in life, it was all like superheroes for me and him. But so I remember Rush Hour coming out and it being like a thing that my friends saw, but I didn't take part in it. So really the first like Jackie Chan thing that I got into and watched was Jackie Chan Adventures, um, which I, I loved as a kid and i recently revisited an episode on youtube um not even in preparation for this i was just watching jackie chan stuff because <laughs> because i go on kicks every year which is like i'm gonna watch some jackie chan stuff um and i one thing that i really dug about revisiting that episode is that like watching it as a kid you have no idea but the pilot episode recreates the playground fight from police story 2 oh wow i didn't know this yeah like i was watching i was like oh this is this is police story 2 and I want to go back and be like, hey, does this happen again? Are there more Jackie Chan moments that are integrated into the show? Because obviously the people making the show had some love of Jackie Chan material uh, at, at some level. Uh, and I want to know if there's more of that in there. I think there's definitely like some Armor of God, Operation Condor stuff, because even though he's playing Jackie Chan, he's kind of playing Jackie Condor 
uh, in that show hmm. where like and that's like his like Indiana Jones character that he makes for those two movies which are kind of his lesser directorial output um, and so then I saw the tuxedo as well and I think maybe the medallion but both of them are so long ago that I can't be sure that I've seen them in full and they're both so bad um, and I have never seen a rush hour oh wow the in, in fact the only American Jackie Chan from that period that I have seen in full and I know that I've seen it is the one we watched for today's podcast Shanghai Noon All yeah right. because I because once I got into Jackie Chan much later uh, and I'll get into that r- right now um, I was like I have no interest in seeing these yeah because and I'm not a completist I, I I'm not gonna waste my time with that so I, I was like, I, I don't have interest in seeing Brett Ratner movies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for the longest time, I mean, the Rush Hour movies were pretty huge. At least the first two the, the were giant. gigantic yeah, hits. Absolutely. But uh, most of Jackie's output in America, I don't think really reflects the f- his full strengths, right? So no, uh, yeah. when I was only familiar with his American stuff, I was like, okay, so he's like some, uh, you know, he's a guy who knows how to do Kung Fu and do great stunts but he's kind of like a you know a funny guy and whatever like i don't care much later it took me surprisingly long for me to realize that he was also a director when i learned that i was like wait what he was also a director so i gained so much more respect than and watching his movies uh the movies that he did in hong kong it was a total you know i i fell in love immediately because they're incredible yeah, and it's interesting because the main association with um, Jackie Chan is kung fu comedy. But for me, I came to him purely as a guy who liked seeing people get beat up, first and foremost. Because um, when I finally was finding my way into cinephilia, I discovered one thing that I really liked was martial arts movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it was the type of thing where like, even if everything else about the movie was mediocre or didn't stand out, if the fighting was really good i was into it like no matter what it was um like you can you can debate the merits of the raid movies all day but at the end of the day people are getting their asses kicked in like really creative and fast-paced and really impressive ways so that's where i enter the jackie chan picture and i'm like you know what i hear that this movie police story that jackie chan did has some incredible fighting in it and it's yeah it's 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 a very funny movie i think too but first and foremost the thing that i like about jackie chan is just the fight scenes and how they're constructed rhythmically Mm -hmm. and the acrobatics of it um like when i talk about combat sports and martial arts films and even to an extent uh when i talk about why i preferred jackie chan to someone like bruce lee um it's because when or and like why i prefer the WWE to UFC. <laughs> the showmanship. Because I like, yeah, showmanship. I like to see guys do backflips. I like, I'm, I'm, I'm here for the athletic aspect of it. And so basically seeing police story then sent me down a rabbit hole mm-hmm. um, of just watching primarily the stuff that he directed. And then some of the stuff he did with Samo. Right. Um, and then some of the stuff before that with low way. Um, and Wu Ping, but so that's my history with Jackie Chan. Um, we, yeah, we will definitely circle back to all that stuff about Bruce Lee and about the um, the way that he crafts the fight scene. I want to talk more about that. Yeah, but let's give like 
I guess a little bit of an overview about. Let's go about this chronologically. Let's go through Jackie's sure. life and career. So as far as I'm concerned, there's one very important thing about his uh, growing up and his childhood, which is he was at the age of six years old. He was basically sold by his parents to the China Drama Academy, yeah. which is at Peking Opera School. Um, yeah. And he was in basically from the age of six to 16, he was in indentured servitude at this school where mm -hmm. he was doing backbreaking labor and training regiment and he was beaten and deprived of food. And it was an absolutely Dickensian situation <laughs> for him. Yeah. And not to jump ahead a bit, but, you know, later in life and, and now he's displayed uh, very nationalist Chinese politics and those like are apparent in his movies from the 80s too do not get me wrong here but they've become like a bigger part of the Jackie Chan persona and when you think about that and when you think about his early life and being sold to like a draconian disciplinarian like clown school basically mm -hmm. you're like okay well if I'm reading that biography with all the specifics taken out I think I'm reading a true crime book like that is <laughs> that is the origin story for like every serial killer you hear about on bad true crime right podcasts. Jackie like, became the Joker it, <laughs> I'm going to become the Jackie Chan yeah <laughs> um, and so like from that experience obviously he's he learns a bunch of stuff to make him one of the most magnetic performers of all time I mean there is where he also meets um the rest of the seven little fortunes including Sammo Hung and Yuan Bao um and they're just as talented as he is. Definitely. Um, like watching Sammo Hung, like you're introducing Sammo Hung to somebody. You're like, hey, do you want to see this like overweight man do backflips? Because you're going to see it. It's going to rule. I love Sammo. I love, I love his, Sammo I think so he's much. my favorite of, the, of that trifecta uh, just because he's yeah. so, I don't know. There's something about seeing someone who, yeah, who's overweight, like fight like that. It's really exciting. He's like the, the thing about Sammo Hung uh, um, and now we're, now we're doing a Sammo Hung podcast. Sorry. Is that he is at once, I think, as funny if not funnier than jackie and certainly like has like a very goofy energy mm -hmm. but in contrast to jackie chan the thing that makes and you can demarcate a difference between like samo era and like post samo era where like samo's fight scenes are a lot more violent mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. they, they can be like very brutal and like samo's great and he pops up um in King Who movies, he choreographs a few of King Who's movies. Uh, he's he's the best, and like, I don't know. I don't like him better than Jackie Chan because Jackie Chan just means so much to me and to my taste. But I don't think Jackie Chan would be nearly who he is without Sammo Hung. Sure. Well, right. And I think you were, were you leading into the idea that because Jackie grew up in this environment that he also has this kind of uh, uh authoritarian tendencies oh, to himself oh right? yeah absolutely that's that's what i was trying to imply there like mm -hmm. i think that like obviously you can go through that stuff and be a, a fine person but i also think that like jackie chan is somebody who like sees his success as totally self-made and right because of that he fashions a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of mentality that in like nearly every country leads to um, right. nationalism um and his his movies are 
extremely nationalistic. You know, sometimes you'll bring up um, Jackie Chan's politics to somebody and they will shrug it off and be like, well, yeah, but the movies. And I'm like, have you seen Project A Part 2? Have you seen... <laughs> Have you seen 1911? Like, well, right, but but 1911 <laughs> is one of the most recent. Like, 1911 when he's is like fully is, in the, right. That's that's in straight up with, propaganda. Yeah, but like you get into it, and Jackie Chan, like throughout his career, even when it's not like national Chinese stuff, the man loves playing authority figures. Yeah, he loves he's, playing cops. He loves playing cops. Um, he loves playing people in the army. He yeah, there's a definitely yeah. a reactionary streak to everything he does. There, there's definitely a reactionary streak to to what he does. Um, his a lot of his movies are can be pretty misogynist um, yeah and have plenty of other things going on excuse me right but what's exciting about it is that because he suffered so much as a young person <laughs> he can do incredible for us. Yeah. physical feats of a kind that I feel like we're not gonna see ever again because we just won't we're, we're, put we're anyone through them through right. such a situation I mean, Jackie became uninsurable, like, by the 90s, basically. And, um, you know, people say he does his own, stu own stunts, and that's mostly true. But there's plenty of stuff that he was doing, even at his peak, that wasn't actually him. Mm -hmm. Because no way were they going to let Jackie Chan, most famous man from Hong Kong, do that shit. Um, and I, I think that, like, you know, there's a tendency to point to somebody like Tom Cruise and be like, hey, this is the modern American Jackie Chan. And, you know, I really appreciate what Tom Cruise does with his body and those Mission Impossible movies for my entertainment. I do. I, <laughs> I really, really do. But he's like, <laughs> the difference between Tom Cruise and Jackie Chan is Tom Cruise is, hey, watch me hold on tight to the side of this plane while it takes off. And Jackie Chan is, hey, let me fall off this plane in midair. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's it, 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 it's it's a very different experience, right? Like I watch a Mission Impossible. I'm like, I know how Tom Cruise didn't die there. He did it right. And then I watch a Jack. I watch Project A when Jackie Chan falls off a clock tower in three different takes, falling on his neck three, three different ways. Yeah. And I don't know how he's not dead. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. That's true. That's true. That's the kind of thing that you that you come to see when you see some of these uh, Hong Kong movies. And I feel like um, I, I don't have such a big knowledge about Hong Kong cinema to to make this statement. But maybe you can help me. I get the sense though, from what I've seen that Jackie really brings that extra element of making really death-defying stunts. Like, I feel like there's a lot of crazy fighting and crazy stunts in Hong Kong movies, but once he starts directing, he really brings kind of like the big stunt that he does, and he t he repeats it a couple of times, different takes oh, yeah. in the movie to it's... really sell it. That's definitely not like a Hong Kong thing, right? Um, I mean, it's something that in many ways might only have been possible in Hong Kong because of the way that like labor situation and filmmaking is set up, mm -hmm. but it's not something that you see apparent in all of those movies. Yeah. They're crazy movies. And yes, uh, their reliance on special effects is very different than Americans. Like um, I was reading uh, Bordwell's planet Hong Kong recently, mm -hmm. and there's a passage where he talks about Johnny Toe's film. Um, what's it called? Johnny Toe made a firefighter movie that is that I really like. Um, and Boardwell basically says that a, a friend recommended it to him and said, it has Hong Kong special effects, meaning no special effects. Um, <laughs> right. So 
these people are actually in a burning building. Um, and that's wonderful, but it's not safe. the same <laughs> as like Jackie Chan repeatedly almost killing himself in nearly every film. Yeah. Like it's, it's the Jackie Chan promise. Like he will get hurt for you. And he has gotten hurt. I think he's in pretty bad shape. Yeah. Uh, I heard oh, yeah. that he can't sleep in a mattress anymore, right? That he has to like sleep on the floor because his back is really hurt. Things like that. Um, I mean, I should sleep, sleep on the floor because my back hurts. Well, like, you know. <laughs> but I mean, like, he, there's a, I, I believe there's a part of his skull missing from when he almost died on the set of Armor of God on a pretty routine stunt. Um, he he's banged up he's had so many injuries like whenever you see one of those big stunts in a jackie chan movie it's not what injury did he get it's what injuries did he get right. like what parts of his body did he fuck up doing this because it's always multiple and it's nearly always severe um even when something goes perfectly like the um big stunt in police story where he slides down the pole mm-hmm. that's basically perfectly executed um it he couldn't like use his hands for a month after that or something like that right because Um, it's a stunt for the people who might not know in which he kind of basically slides down a chandelier type of thing and the bulbs kind of explode as he goes down uh i don't know how many stories that that was in at least five stories or so right that he goes yeah yeah i I think so and yeah and of course it's insane he she shattered he shattered his hands because all the bulbs like you know broke in his yeah. hands. But one one thing that I think is always so interesting about um, Police Story and Project A is that they both have these like defining stunts in them, but then their immediate sequels are rather low key on the stunt end. Oh yeah, I haven't seen uh, Project A two, but I've seen Police Story two, which definitely brings it down a little bit. Yeah, I uh, late later in this episode, I, I think we should talk a little bit about um, Police Story Two and and a little bit of, about Project A Two because I think he has a very weird and interesting approach to sequels that you do not see in most filmmakers, um, where they're like smaller and weirder um, rather than big. Like Police Story Two is this kind of like Shaggy Dog undercover cop movie, kind of, and it's not the like mile a minute. Uh, fight scene every 10 sort of thing that the first one is yeah so okay so he once he's old enough to leave the school um the chinese opera school he teams up with a group of people that you were mentioning before the seven little fortunes i can't remember the name of the guy who was their mentor i don't know if you remember that um, I don't. Was someone with the last name yuan because a lot of them kind of adult. they're all yeah. they're all named yuan and uh, these were people, you know, they started working as stuntmen. Um, the most uh, memorable ones, other than Jackie, are, we mentioned Samo Hung and Yuan Bao, who they're both in Project A, in a, and they also acted together in other yeah, movies. Yeah, they, they, they did a lot of movies together. They did Project A. Um, they did Wheels on Meals, which, which is, is great. Which is great, yes. Uh, um, they're, 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 they're in all the uh, Lucky Stars movies, which are um, mostly bad. Uh, though the first one's quite good. Uh, they did Dragons Forever, um, and they're a great. I think they're trio. all in Heart of Dragon. Yeah, they're they're, they're all great together, um, and it's always great when like even in later movies, when Jackie Chan stops working with them full time, when like Sammo pops up or mm-hmm. UN pops up, and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and eventually Jackie kind of makes himself a bit of a reputation. I heard that he 
kind of got a bit of a reputation for doing the stunts that other people wouldn't do. You know, for kind of being like the crazy one who would do the stunts that people were afraid to do. And eventually he teams up with producer Lo Wei, which you mentioned before, and he starts yeah. starring in his own movies. The early movies, I feel like they don't do very well until he kind no, of really. finds his particular Jackie Chan style that we come to define. Yeah, I mean, so I think the stuff with Lo Wei is that it was very easy for somebody to be like, yeah, I'll make movies with Lo Wei. Lo Wei is the guy who like helped Bruce Lee make his first two movies. Mm-hmm. Like, great, I'll do that. But the movies themselves aren't very good, and, and Lo Wei is uh, given to exploitation, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're kind of just like regular kung fu movies and hey there's nothing wrong with that i'll watch a ton of those but like low is not chang che he's not lao Long, right like hmm. they're not great um jackie chan finds his footing i think when he um well when he makes drunken master with with you whooping um he, and that's where like the comedic kung fu stuff solidifies and then that continues on a little bit in like jackie when jackie finally like starts directing his own stuff with fearless hyena mm-hmm. and the young master um, which I think are uh, relatively underseen, but deserve to be talked about mm-hmm. um, in the same breath as the other Jackie Chan stuff. I watched Drunken Master for the first time last night, and yeah. um, it was a lot of fun, and I can definitely see both... It's a very interesting movie because it feels like the beginning of the Jackie Chan that we know, but mm-hmm. it is still tied to that earlier uh, kind of period piece yeah. kung fu kind of style and yeah yeah i mean i i would say that there are basically a few um markers where things change for jackie and the first one is just drunken master and kind of mastering this form of comedic kung fu mm-hmm. um, and then the next one which comes after the young master is uh basically abandoning that sort of that period piece of kung fu style yeah you know? like exactly that, that, like shaw and early golden harvest stuff where he's like no more of that more modern stuff and like yeah modern can mean right now but it could also mean like republic era china or, or whatever and mm-hmm. um he has a few more options yeah it's just not that kind of like mythical medieval period anymore um for or like yeah, ancient though, though, chinese kind of period though, though even, even then like those films um are usually taking place in the like late 1800s anyway. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> like, the, the, yeah, they're still Qing Dynasty movies. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess they're, right. they're they are they are all about like uh, the Chinese people being upset about the Manchurians. Like, <laughs> yeah, at least at least fifty percent of them are. Yeah, all the all those Hong Kong movies from like the seventies and eighties seem to be, or early eighties at least, seem to be. Yeah, like, and and with the with the abandoning of the period, also like comes to um, a more stunt focused style that's less about. That's what I was gonna get at. Number one is that he, by developing the comedic style of fighting, he positions himself, and he talks about this over and over again in interviews, as the, an alternative to Bruce Lee, right? The kind of like, yeah. Bruce Lee is the invincible fighter who will knock you down with a couple punches, but Jackie is kind of like the guy who's out of his depth, or like who's really the underdog a little bit, in the sense that... Yeah. He, right? What would you say I, about I mean, I, I agree with you that he, he's definitely the under underdog, and like... 
Bruce Lee is going to kick your ass fast and immediately. Right. Uh, and Jackie Chan, he's going to let you be, let, let you get some punches in. Uh, and in fact, act like he doesn't want to fight you. Right. Um, until, of course, he, he bests you either by funny accident or by just being Jackie Chan. Yeah. Um, he but was... I mean, the thing with Bruce Lee is that, like, what Jackie Chan was doing was taking like years of Shaw Brothers stuff and just making it funnier. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And Shaw, Shaw stuff was already, a lot of it was already funny to begin with, but there is more similarity between that like classic Shaw style of fighting and what Jackie Chan's doing than there is between either of them and Bruce Lee. Because Bruce Lee is, has a lot less to do with like specific Kung Fu styles and a lot more to do with just like actual street fighting that hmm. is obviously influenced by Chinese boxing. Um, whereas Jackie Chan, like, yeah, it's not classical Kung Fu, right? Like it's, it's, it's not Shaolin Kung Fu. Um, but it is a little bit more about like almost not constant movement because there are rhythmic breaks, but there's a lot more movement, um, and a lot more going on in what's happening in like the movement in a Jackie Chan scene than there is in like a Bruce Lee scene. And I feel like that to me is closer to what I get out of like some of the Chang Che films I really like. Sure. Know? I was going to say that I think uh, when Jackie, right, the next thing, which is what you were alluding to, when Jackie, especially when he starts directing himself, I feel like he not only comes out of this uh, period piece into something more modern, but he also at least from what I've seen, I feel like he takes a little bit less um, uh, focus on the, the technique of the martial arts and more into the yeah. stunts and more into creating uh, whatever plays well with the audience, plays well with the camera, you know, putting himself yeah. in a situation where he can grab a chair, he can grab whatever's in the room and do some crazy flips and, and do crazy stunts that are going to play comedically and are going to be exciting and not so much about like learning the techniques of kung fu which you see a lot you see it in drunken master but you also see it in movies like um you know uh 36 chamber of shaolin or something like that yeah um i mean eventually there's the famous disagreement between jackie chan and lao kar Leung on um on drunken master 2 um that led to lao getting fired uh but you know with 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 all that, like when he gets into directing, his first two movies are still pretty classical kung fu movies. Um, they're very good by nature of like Jackie Chan being incredible in them, and like you can see what he's bringing to the table as a director almost immediately, right? Like he he does a lot more prop work in Fearless Hyena and The Young Master, where he's like fighting with um with like benches and stuff, mm -hmm. and it's it's extremely rhythmic. Um, it's, you know, it's cliche to compare this shit to dance, but like it, it is clearly, um, working in the, in the same realm as that art form. And it's like very funny. Um, fight scenes aren't really about like communicating, um, emotion or theme. They are about entertainment and they are about like, like basically joke and punch density, um, where they're like, there's a great scene, uh, where I think it's in Fearless Hyena, where he is working at a Kung Fu school against his master's wishes and, or against his, his grandfather's wishes, same thing uh, in, in this film. And 
there are people coming by to like challenge the school to a fight and he's the only one there who knows any kung fu and they bring in a guy and they're like come quick it's the town horn dog it's the horniest guy in town <laughs> uh so J- jackie fights him by dressing like a woman and like getting him to try and kiss him and then like hitting him in like the dirty hoe i'm not actually fighting style um, <laughs> right and you know there, there are some things about that scene where you look at it and you go this could be representationally problematic but it's so funny and it's it's so like emblematic of what it is that jackie chan does and that movie throughout and uh he's always wearing like costumes and doing prop work and he, he does costume work again and again throughout his films really um, and, yeah. it, and it starts there, you know, uh, and I think that there's a tendency in people to be like, I'm going to get into the Jackie Chan di- directorial oeuvre and they just like start with Project A and Police Story, which, you know, that's what I did. Um, but I, I like those first two films that he directed should not be overlooked. They are mm-hmm. a great time. Project A, Police Story. Let's talk about them. The I yeah. would say some of the most um, iconic of his movies. Um, Project A I think it's a great example of the th- the trio that we were talking about working together. Mm-hmm. Jackie, Yuan Bao, and uh, Samuel Hung. Um, and it's great to see him with a, with a budget and, you know, doing this oh, kind of yeah. like... Uh, you know, it's a story about like... Uh, uh, it's police slash kind of... Pirates. Pi- well, <laughs> maybe pirates. people fighting pirates, right? Coast Guard. It's the Coast Guard versus the pirates. Yeah. Uh, but the coast guard gets dismantled and folded into the police Uh, it's a whole thing there's a whole lot going on i think we should say a lot of these movies they were created with the action scenes first like you know yeah jackie comes up with what action scenes he wants to do and then he hires some people to like connect them well like that's one of the things where that's not just a jackie chan thing that's a hong kong thing yes exactly Hong Kong popular cinema is written by reel. So like there's 10 reels in a 100 minute film, right? And it's like, okay, we need something really fun in this one and something fun in this one and something fun in this one and something fun in this one. And so these films often, uh, even outside of Jackie Chan and everything, they are written by committee. They're written by people saying, how do we top what the other studio is doing? How do we top what we did last time? What are we doing in reel five? Um, So you don't have like narrative cohesion in a lot of them and a lot of them can seem pretty ridiculous but each reel on its own uh is almost always so exciting uh, especially when you get to the later ones there's always great sequences and the yeah, story that connects them on. is not really the important part is not really that great right like uh police story which of the jackie chan direct- directorial movies well police story actually project a2 maybe um might have like the most cohesive um and intelligent through line and it's still like it's, it's still like uh there's, there's a cop and he's got to like do some stuff yeah <laughs> like that that's what police story is about um I, I could go into what that movie is actually about but it it doesn't amount to much more than that it is an excuse to string along some fights and some stunts and that's all you need police story it's it is part of the criterion collection along with police story 2 it has been released through them which has given it, and I feel it had it already, this air of being Jackie's kind of masterpiece of like, he, yeah. you know? So what do you think is it about this movie in particular? Um, so I, I know I keep jumping back and forth on things, but uh, with Police Story and Project A together, um, I would say that Police Story is Jackie Chan's masterpiece. It is um, 
you know uh police story is jackie chan's masterpiece it is if you just want to see the like apex of jackie chan doing what jackie chan does it's that movie absolutely project a on the other hand is basically the blueprint for everything a jackie chan movie can be Hmm. it is funnier than police story it is more stunts there's still a lot of fighting but it's it's um it's wackier right you get um more like jackie chan as a as a funny guy in that movie uh you get more of the costume drama stuff it's not as straightforward it's not as serious um it's it's very wacky and it 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 is in many ways bridging the gap between that early style and what, what will come later but i think that like the thing about police story is that if you're seeing it for the first time you can't believe anything that's happening in that movie right like it's just that movie starts and like two minutes in you're like you can do this you can take all these cars and just drive them down a hill and just destroy a shanty town and then jackie chan can like jump onto the a double-decker bus in motion you're allowed to do not only is it possible but it's, you're allowed to do this and it's the opening of the movie and that's how that movie opens like <laughs> Police Story 1 is so good that Police Story 2 opens with a highlight reel of Police Story 1. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, because you just, you have to see it. It's um, so good. And it it has the great stunts like that uh, double-decker bus bit or the sliding down the pole. Mm-hmm. But really, if you want to see Jackie Chan just fight a bunch of dudes, it's Police Story. Um, when he's throwing people through glass at the end of the mall... Uh, sequence it's it's some of the most invigorating action cinema that's ever been made um some beats don't land in like comedically um i think that the the bit where he's in the police station and all the phone lines are tied up and like a woman's calling because she's being sexually assaulted it's kind of weird it's like there are parts of the scene that i think are like pretty funny but it's also just like this kind of falls flat in some ways i don't know that i necessarily need it but then in like one scene later he's sliding his body over the top of a car to kick somebody in the face and like one fluid motion and you're like hell yeah this is the best thing i've ever seen in my life um whereas you know project a it (sighs) project a is interesting because i said that it is kind of the blueprint for everything jackie chan wants to do and i do think that's true but it's also a sammo hung movie it's also a yuan biao movie Mm -hmm. right like there are those other elements going in so it's 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 the movie that says this is where Jackie Chan comes from and this is where he's going. That's right. And, and they're back to back, I think, right? Or, or, or are they close to each I think, other? I think so. They're, they're pretty close. Um, I don't think he did anything in between them. Uh, At least maybe, not director, oh, as a director, right? And so... Yeah. I feel like Wheels on Meals might be in the, in the middle, but he, not, he did not direct that one. He only yeah, choreographed that's, that that's one. Yeah, that's, that's 84. Police Story is 85. And I think... Yeah, I'm pretty sure Project, Project A, A is 83. 83. It is, yeah. Project A is his fourth film in 83. Uh, fourth film as a director. Right. So, right. And, and it does feel like once Police Story hits, he kind of like... I don't know. that He gets a little bit removed from that from that trio and from that other group, right? And it starts oh, to be oh, yeah, absolutely. much more Jackie-focused um, and I think trying to top himself. Their last film as a trio is Dragons Forever. 
um, which is in the 80s. I don't know when it is, but it, it, I think it had even been a while um, since he had last worked with them at that point. But I could be talking on my ass. I often am. Let me see. I like. I know that it's their last film together. I just don't know. Oh, it's 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 eighty eight. Mm-hmm. So they they still keep making stuff, but it's kind of on and off, right? So like he makes the last Lucky Stars and and Heart of Dragon like right before Police Story, right. um, and then eighty eight he makes Dragons Forever in between Project A two and Police Story two. In the late eighties and early nineties, he kind of gets show. really uh, ambitious in his directorial efforts, right? I don't know if you've oh, seen man, this movie yeah. Miracles that I've heard about. I haven't seen Miracles. Which is like a period um, piece, apparently. Miracles, like yeah. a gangster period piece with a lot of uh, a pretty expensive movie to make, lots of costumes, lots of... But also something that he wanted to be a bit of a prestige project. That Yeah, it's a Frank Capra remake. Right, exactly. But in a kind of like a Hong Kong... But, but in, a, in a Jackie Chan style. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you can you can see that sort of... Um, Prestige starting to come out even in Jackie Chan's sequels, um, like Police Story 2, which I think is a little bit more of um, a serious cop movie than the first Police Story. Yeah, He uh, does Crime Story around here, which is like, what if Police Story were dark? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's pretty cool. Um, And then Project A2 uh, is a really good movie um, that I think is like consistently underrated um, that I think sees a lot of what's going on in Hong Kong filmmaking, including like, it's very obvious that he saw um, uh, Peking Opera Blues from Choi Hark uh, mm. because there's a scene, the best scene in, in um, Project A Part 2, like basically rips off one of the best scenes in uh, Peking Opera Blues. But like that film is, it has, like, so Project A Part 2 has a lot less, fighting and fewer stunts than the first one. It, not that it doesn't have great versions of either. It, it does. But it, it's a film in which, again, he's he's still the, a policeman like he was in the first film. He's the same character. And he is both tracking down and helping uh, two revolutionary women on the eve of the 1911 revolution. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it, it, right, it is Jackie Chan, like, getting into politics, also, like, you know, riffing on Peking Opera Blues. Um, there, like, there's a great sequence where, like, five different people are, are hiding in uh, Maggie Chung's apartment. Um, that is, it's, it's phenomenal. It's a much funnier movie. Um, it's mm-hmm. much, like, looser than the first movie. Um, I, I think it's pretty great and I think it's really indicative of like Jackie Chan having variety to him um, and having things that he wanted to do other than just jump off of stuff and hurt himself because he doesn't really like do many risky things in Police Story 2 and Project A2. He did that. He, 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 he's, he's, he did that and he's going to continue to do it in other films but he kind of uses those sequels as a means to make something a bit different than what he normally would. Like he already knows that you're going to see this because you saw the first one and you loved it. Mm -hmm. And now he can do what he wants. Yeah. He's trying to, he has an experimental phase there. Like you're trying to do some different stuff. Um, Then he comes into a phase in which he, you know, like all great directors, he gets, he goes over budget with Operation Condor (laughs) and they, uh, they don't let him direct again for a while until he does Drunken Master 2 and he gets into a fight with, Lau Kar Lung, the director, so he ends up directing the back half of the movie. Um, 
And it is kind of, I don't know if you have a lot to say about that period before we jump into America, but I find it interesting that in that 90s period, you know, he starts to have problems with the director. His movies are not doing what the, he wants them to do necessarily. Yeah. And and that's right before he um, breaks through into the American Yeah, so market. he doesn't, um, aside from the back half of Drunken Master 2, he doesn't direct a movie in the 90s until Who Am I? Um, and he sort of like, these years are interesting because I think that there's a lot of really fun work here. Um, you're missing Jackie Chan as a director, but I'm, of course, police story three comes out in these years and that's a really good movie. I think, um, I don't think it's up to the, the first movie, um, by any means. Um, but you get a lot of good stuff and you, there's the last act very of that much... movie is just crazy. It's great. Oh, it's 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 insane, and that and that's the thing. You get you get like uh, the Jackie Chan stunts. They're all there. Um, the directing is not the same, but it's um... you still get stuff, and you get some you get some good weird movies. Um, I I love Rumble in the Bronx. Um, mm-hmm. I think that movie is a blast. Um, it has some really crazy fight scenes in the first half, and some really ridiculous stunts in the second half. Um, but yeah, that era before he pops into America, it's different. But it, it is when he's like, hey, I've directed my movies. Let me work with different people now, right? So he hey. like he does Twin Dragons. He does a Choi Hark movie. And back when um, Choi was making uh, Zoo Warriors from Magic Mountain and Golden Harvest was like, hey, you're making this movie. You can have anybody you want from our stable. He didn't even ask for Jackie Chan because he knew like he wasn't going to get him. Uh, but then they do Twin Dragons, a movie that has two Jackie Chans, and it's directed by Choi Park, who is a very different director than Jackie Chan is. Um, he does City Hunter with Wong Jing, a very weird movie that Jackie hates afterwards. And then there's a then Wong Jing makes a movie about how much of a shithead yeah, how uh, much celebrity Jackie Chan. Uh, <laughs> Jackie Chan is. Uh, he does Crime Story, which is uh, like one of his most serious movies and in many ways like foreshadows the later direction of the of the new police stories, even though those new police stories also have like rollerblading gangs. Uh, but Crime Story is a much more like serious, darker Jackie Chan. Um, th- there's so much going on in those years and then there's there's first strike there's mr nice guy there's um who am i of course and and these movies like <sighs> honestly i think he's starting to branch out and work with more directors and do more interesting things um pretty much up until he has a bad experience with city hunter and then he kind of like retreats into like doing um sam hung movies and other and police stories hmm. um well he also that's around the period where he starts to come over to america and make movies here so yeah, like you that's, know... that's around the time when like and we we should say that he had tried several times to make it in america before yeah so at least in the in the early 80s he had yeah. an attempt uh with uh battle creek brawl which was directed by robert klaus who is the director of enter the dragon and it didn't mm-hmm. really take and and also the protector mm-hmm so he had attempted in the in the past, but it was really in the mid nineties. Uh, I I think Rumble in the Bronx kind of like crossed over and was a yeah the hit that kind of made him. I I think there are people who probably think Rumble in the Bronx is an American movie. Yeah, I think I would have thought well, so. Like, if... yeah, it, it's it's a Hong Kong film, but um, and it's shot in Vancouver. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> not the Bronx. 
you can tell it's not the Bronx because there's mountains in every in the background. Of there's every mountains shot. in every shot, and also their conception of New York City is what if the Warriors? Yeah. Um, which you know it's fine. Like they're fighting in like dirty warehouse arcade rooms. I don't know. There's it's great. Um, I have a lot of fun, but I would presume that a lot of people think that that movie's American, and it was a it was a hit, and I think that that led to you know um a, a cinematic genius uh named brett ratner um mm-hmm. making a movie called the rush hour um about uh culture clashes or whatever that movie is about um <laughs> it's about cops i know that because it's a jackie chan movie yeah jackie um, chan i think people know jackie chan chris tucker they go do some cop stuff they fight um chris tucker says you know some pretty dubious jokes jackie chan says also some pretty dubious jokes pretty dubious jokes that he didn't even know what he was saying because he doesn't really racial speak comedy yeah, exactly <laughs> lots of that um and then there's other movies like we talk about tuxedo we i said that we should watch one of the american movies and i picked what i thought from my memory was the best one which I agree mm-hmm. after watching it again. This is probably the best that Jackie did in America, which is Shanghai Noon. So I have one disagreement, uh, and I think it's an opinion that not many people share, but the best uh, American Jackie Chan movie or Western Jackie Chan movie is The Foreigner. Oh, um, okay. So later, which, later period. Yeah, like, I mean, that movie is right up my alley because it's uh, an IRA thriller with old-ass Jackie Chan in it um, and that has like no jokes in it it's not really a Jackie Chan movie he just happens to be in it and personally I think that that direction where Jackie Chan just does versions of Taken is way better than whatever he's doing right now well yeah um, that sounds like something I would be interested in yeah and like that's what the foreigner is and you know it's not great any great shakes as a Jackie Chan movie but like a little thriller that has some fight scenes to put on before you fall asleep at night. It's real good for that. Um, but Shanghai Noon is pretty good. Um, it's pretty solid. I think it's, yeah, it, it, like it's got some stuff we can talk about, but it's it's a pretty fun movie. Um, I I this, this is my first time seeing it, um, and I, I generally dug it. Yeah. yeah, it's got some good fights. The fights are very short because we're dealing with They're America and, you know, labor laws, but also kind of like the way that we do movies here in which we yeah. do it's not like, approach what if we had a it. Plot? Yeah, exactly. It's not that we go uh, set piece first and then fill up the gaps. There's like this whole screenwriting nonsense that happens. Um, yeah, the fights, the fights are pretty short. Um, they are... I would say that they are shot and edited pretty competently. Yeah. Uh, which is surprising. They do do things like they cut away from like blows being dealt uh, a lot of the time. And especially in the first half of the movie, I felt that like some things were like, I feel like Jackie Chan is going a little bit slower on these American stuntmen than he normally <laughs> would, um, which like bothers me a little bit. But like they're fun fights. Um, they come with enough frequency that it's not like there's too long in between. Um, I think the Owen Wilson, Jackie Chan buddy comedy stuff is much more palatable than the uh, Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker stuff from what I've seen of the Rush Hour movies. Definitely. Um, uh, you know, um, do I love this movie's depiction of indigenous people? No. no. <laughs> not not, <laughs> not even a little good. bit. Uh, but it, it is interesting that because of that, we get a movie where like Jackie Chan smokes tunnel weed. Uh, <laughs> yes, we do. All right, so yeah, I mean, you you have 
Jackie Chan smoking a ton of weed and then waking up the next morning to find that he's been with this woman um, who is now his wife. Uh, and the weird thing about that is that by the end of the movie, uh, Owen Wilson and his indi- and yeah. Jackie Chan's indigenous wife are together, and Jackie Chan is with Lucy Liu now. Uh, I guess this movie is like, ah, that wedding doesn't count. Uh, which, you know, to be fair, wedding probably shouldn't count. But um, this is still technically a movie in which Owen Wilson uh, cuckolds Jackie Chan. <laughs> I guess so. Which, you know, that's that's something it has going for it, I think. Um, but it, it's, it, you know, it, it's, I don't know that I have that much to say about Shanghai Noon. Um, other than, like, it both represents the best of what mm-hmm. the Jackie Chan American comedies could be, but also displays yeah, what which is, is what? holding them back. You know, like... Well, so it's 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 about as good as one of these can be. And the reason why I suggest that uh, Jackie Chan movies in America going forward be more like Taken um, is because I think that like while a movie in which Jackie Chan beats people up could work here, uh, I don't know that a Jackie Chan style comedy could because of a few things, right? Like you can put Jackie Chan into something and be like, hey, Jackie Chan's here. But to make a Jackie Chan movie, you kind of mm. have to adhere to the Hong Kong style. Like, it has to be made real by real. Um, the, like, and you have to be able to um, work, sorry. You have to be able to choreograph and perform fight scenes in a rhythmic way. And that's just not something that there's a mm-hmm. strong tradition of in America. Um, I think, I think nowadays it's getting a little bit better. I think you have like the John Wick movies um, that where like guys clearly know how to direct fight scenes now. Not everybody, but um, I think that it's it's harder to do that. Um, you there aren't any big stunts in this movie. Uh, you can't ensure Jackie Chan for that sort of thing. You you can't. Um, you, you, I don't know if it's just an American problem anymore. I think it might just be that after a certain point, you can't make a joke. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you know, um, there's not the, that whole generation of people who grew up in an environment like his, where you, where you were, you know, mistreated for a long time. And then like, where it just, yeah, it's not, yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it's a good thing. It's a and good you, thing. You can't make these But anymore. you know, it's a little bit sad because they're great but also it makes sense in a humane kind of way um it has to change into something a little bit different and um i think even by the time jackie crosses over to america he's already getting pretty old so he can't he's not at the peak anymore and while he does a lot of great stuff he you can't ask him to do some of the stuff he did in project a and police story You know, it's it's amazing that he's doing what he does in this movie, but exactly. you can't ask him to almost die. And like, perhaps if America had caught on earlier and had got him in the '80s, then we'd have like a really interesting movie. But even still, labor laws in filmmaking in America, even in the '80s, were yeah, very the very '80s Hong Kong, Kong is the perfect place for Jackie Chan to thrive. There's like, you know, that's just a place where his yeah. kind of thing could be done the way that it was done. Um, yeah. After crossing over to America, you know, he does Rush Hour movies do pretty well. Shanghai Noon, I think, was a hit, but maybe not a super uh, giant hit. Um, eventually, he goes back, but, right. you know, he's getting older. His body is starting to 
you know, can't take the amount of fighting that he used to do. The Hong Kong industry is also kind of dwindling at this point. And uh, eventually, the mainland Chinese uh, start to put more money into the Hong Kong industry, start to do blockbusters of their own, making big movies. And I think Jackie catches on to it that that's where the money is. Yeah, he makes a lot of movies now, um, and none of them are good. Uh, nope, none of them are good. Uh, I'm not on Twitter, so you can't at me if you think that one of them is good. But you don't think that because none of How them are so, good. How so, Chris? What is um, what, tell the people what it what it is about them? Like, what kind of movie is he making now? Great. Let's talk about 1911. Like which is a movie about the like Republican revolution in China that basically uh, ended the, and ended the Qing dynasty and uh, brought democracy to uh, China. And so he makes a, a movie about this that is abysmal in many ways. Um, like if you name a thing about movies, <laughs> it's bad in this one. I, I think, I think that's fair. Um, I, I have like very vague memories and ideas about 1911. Um, like I, I really only half watched it, so we probably shouldn't go much longer on it. But um, like it's endemic of everything people don't like about Jackie Chan now. Um, it's incredibly nationalistic. Um, it is. It just doesn't have the life that Jackie Chan movies used to have. It, it doesn't have the energy, the comedy. Uh, certainly doesn't have the stunts none of the stuff he does now has the stunts and it's all just so lame right like you ask me to describe why these movies are bad and it's so it's honestly difficult to do that Mm -hmm. because there's not much to say about them really um they feel like beyond pale imitations of them like he revisits old stuff um like he did uh, Chinese Zodiac, which is a return to the Condor series, which is already his weakest directorial work from the good days. And he can't do what he used to do. And he doesn't seem like he wants to do what he used to do. He's just happy being a rich man who is on the side of the mm-hmm. Chinese government at all times. Uh, it's a really sad story. Yeah. Um... My last question was going to be, what is there an alternative for him? Do we see? I mean, I don't think he's interested in doing something other than what he's doing right now. He seems to be pretty comfortable uh, with his uh, Chinese money, but yeah. he he seems to be pretty comfortable and like the Hong Kong industry. There's right, exactly the Hong right Kong now. industry that thrived in the eighties and and. And before in the seventies, eighties, nineties, doesn't really exist anymore. It, it doesn't it is, really exist. It is crazy to like, think e- that, that it existed to begin with. I mean, Hong Kong, there's what, like eight million people there, and they were supporting yeah. a big movie industry. Yeah, for a very long time um, in Hong Kong, even when they they were showing imports from America, but for most years until the mid nineties. Hong Kong movies were always the top of the box office in Hong Kong. It was one of the only like international popular cinemas 
that was the biggest cinema in its country for for viewership um and it, it pumped out huge numbers and the quality was varied but i think there's a reason why it has Whole, uh, it played in a lot America of other thing. places too right like it traveled to japan is... to the philippines to yeah. america to, to taiwan like and even when you think about it like you think about um a movie like uh project a project a <laughs> has a different japanese cut um wheels on meals has a different japanese cut because all these countries were demanding different things from the movies like they wanted more violence in certain places so like um a lot of John Woo movies, you can get like more violent versions of them that were shown in <laughs> Taiwan. Um, and that like they were exporting their movies and they, they exported some to America as well. Uh, but it was such a huge deal. And then like the industry slows down because a lot of what they were doing wasn't really sustainable. Um, mm -hmm. There's the handover. Uh, it yeah. that starts in 97 um and american movies just get really good at cgi is another thing so like jurassic park is able to do numbers in hong kong in ways that hong kong movies aren't and then in the 2000s right um even then you have an industry that has a few big name directors like johnny toe um who are making the really interesting movies and there, there's there's other people too to be sure but what they're not usually the type of movies that jackie chan makes um and two mainland china became more and more involved with the hong kong industry so that even folks like johnny toe who was able to carve out a space for himself in the 2000s working now for him is he still works but like he wants to make a third election movie but he basically says it's impossible to do. Uh, you can't make right. films about the triad um, there anymore. So the type of things that Jackie Chan is making in China right now, is pretty much like that's his option in China. Um, do I think that like there could be what I like? Uh, Jackie Chan is Liam Neeson now in America. Yeah, sure. Like, yeah. Is that the best the scenario? Is that the best scenario care. for us? I'll see this. Yeah, probably right. Like coming so. over, making like an old man movie. Like, like those, those are they would just be middle of the road. Um, like I don't know, <laughs> oh, do Rush Hour Four. I don't, I don't care at this point. Like I'll take it. I um, Owen Wilson still around? Do do uh, Shanghai Three? Uh, I I would watch that. I'd be interested in like an old man, uh, Jackie in the yeah, old west. Yeah, I'd, I'd see it. Like I, I. It's weird because I think that at this point, having seen some of what he's done in China recently and also having seen The Foreigner, I am way more curious about what Jackie Chan's future in, China. in America is. Yeah, that's interesting. Like. That's a crazy moment to be in, right? Yeah. Where, like. Yeah. Because he's not going to do the stunts that he used to do that would require the level of, no, of direction no. that he was bringing to his Hong Kong films. He, he's too old to do that. Uh, but I think American films would harness his personality and put them into something that I think is more interesting, especially as like, you know, in the nineties and the beginning of the, the two thousands, especially he showed an interest in going more serious. And I think that something like the foreigner showed that he can do that. And like, again, that movie is just okay. But 
I would take that over like i would take that over chinese zodiac you know yeah i would not go to see a new chinese jackie chan movie in the theaters but i would consider going to see a the foreigner yeah. type of thing for sure i would probably would go see it well, yeah absolutely you know, why not yeah absolutely like put jackie chan in a john wick movie like <laughs> there you it. go yeah of course well right we talk about all of this but of course what would happen if he comes to america is he would play the master in some marvel movie or something right in a superhero movie he would be like one of those um in a supporting role where he gets to you know he the remake of mulan and he would play the emperor or something and that would be it yeah he, it, 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 like you know his best american work is actually kung fu panda 2 like that's what he would be doing <laughs> yeah in in america yeah uh no 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 offense meant to kung fu panda kung fu panda rules kung fu panda's good uh, i like that i like that panda you know a bit of a, a, a depressing note to end on but the good news <laughs> is that the jackie chan movies that were made in the 70s the 80s the 90s they still exist and you can watch them yeah, they still exist you can you can watch them uh that's kind of true in america <laughs> that's the last thing I, w i want to talk about is uh how hard it is to see these movies in america like if you want to watch project a or drunken master 2 uh well warner is coming out with drunken master 2 um on like a legitimate blu-ray but if you want to see these movies you have to watch the cut down and dubbed versions Uh, more or less. Well, there's also another thing that you can do, Chris Mello, that I, <laughs> that I'm not gonna say. It's very practical. You could. There's a great thing that you can do, uh, and it has to do with. It has to do. Yeah, think about the villains of Project A, and you'll have an idea of what you can do to watch Jackie Chan movies. <laughs> or you know, um, Eureka in the UK has put out some great Blu-ray versions of a bunch of his stuff, and so has 88 films. Uh, I recently finally got a region-free player, so I've been buying so much Jackie Chan stuff. That's all I've bought so far is so much Jackie Chan stuff that I can't get here for, like, no reason. Um, yeah, like, and that's also a sad state of affairs. This is, like, the most famous Hong Kong star of all time, and it's, like, so hard to get good copies of his movies in America. Mm -hmm. All right, so I was trying to end on a positive note, uh, but you had to bring it back around to something depressing. I think it's very yeah. on brand for you. So why don't you tell us uh, <laughs> where people can find you and that kind of thing? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at um, Tangible Gary. Uh, I'm on a little bit of a hiatus right now. I'm having been using it, but mm -hmm. I put I put opinions there. I put jokes about movies there. I don't put a lot of thought into it, but my letterbox is there not on any other social media you can find my thought out written stuff on interview online and dim the house um and yeah that's me great thank you so much for being on the show it was great talking jackie with you thank you so much for having me And that's our show. Thanks again to Chris Mello for coming on to talk about Jackie Chan. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a good rating and a good review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us find more listeners. Also, why don't you tell someone about the podcast? Word of mouth is even better at helping us find more listeners. Next week on Foreign Invader, Nicole Kidman. 
that should be a fun episode. But in the meantime, stick around for a little extra movie talk with Chris Mello. Chris, movie theaters are coming back. They are. What do you have to say about this? Um, so I, I'm gonna out myself as a bad person. I first went back to the movies in November. Oh. Um, and it, like right before shit started getting bad in New York again, um, my fiance and I we went to see Tenet. Um, because I was like, you know what? Let, let's go see this. Uh. The the miracle of everything being reserved seating and having apps now is that I can look and I can check and see if the theater's empty and confirm. And like I can keep checking that. And if it gets too full, I can be like, fuck this and and just not go. Right. Um, so I felt pretty safe then. But then we stayed away for a while. And then in March, um, I started going back a little bit. We saw nobody and um and then with A B and Trevor, um, we saw Godzilla versus Kong in IMAX. That must have been good. Was, yeah, that, that was that was a great welcome back to the movies. Um, <laughs> but uh, like things are starting to come out now, actually. Um, yeah, there are movies and and uh, <laughs> that's great. I'm glad movie theaters are back. I do personally think it's safe, at least for myself. Wouldn't like impose that decision on anybody else. Um, but I'm enjoying going back. Uh, the one frustration I have is that as a critic who's not in the city um who's out on long island and there are like way fewer press screenings out here the one thing the pandemic afforded me is that uh every movie that came out last year you could get a digital screener for right and that's and and i was hoping that would maybe stick around but um a few things here and there are kind of hinting that no it's going back to the way it used to be where like you got to be in new york city at 10 a.m in like a hotel lobby Mm -hmm. to see whatever it is you're seeing um and that's just a lot harder for me to do and it's it's a real like wrench in productivity in that way for me personally um but you know movie theaters are back i'm really happy for them i and it's it's a weird thing where like i love horror movies and there are three uh, mediocre seeming horror movies in theaters right now. I haven't gotten to any of them yet. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm. I am resting also, on my laurels. Yeah, I am also a little bit. I'm excited that movie theaters are back, but I've been to the movie theater twice, and it's been to rep screenings. It's been to see uh, Vertigo and the Fabulous Baker Boys at uh, Museum of the Moving Image, and I think that is kind of a reflection of the fact that for me the pandemic year really was a year of like looking at other stuff or it's movies other than the ones that were coming out so i'm yeah absolutely you know so now i want to watch jackie chan movies and you know things like that mm -hmm. on the one hand 2020 was a great year for me seeing um as many new movies as possible because it was so easy to see everything that came out but on the other hand it was also just 
so freeing to be like i can just focus on old shit mm -hmm. i can not worry so much about this uh some of it's good and interesting most of it wasn't um and i could just go back and catch up on things i'm really looking forward to the day when i can get back into manhattan and go to rep screenings again um right. i can't wait for metrograph to be open again um i think that metrograph might currently be the last holdout uh, might be the last major new york city rep theater that's not reopened I, that might be true because um i think lincoln center is definitely open and lincoln center's back syndicated's back um film forum's back uh what about anthology? Is that open? I don't. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't looked into it yet. Um, but yeah, I'm. I, I'm really, really excited to get back to that scene. But when it comes to the big budget releases that are going to be playing at my local AMC, I'd rather watch them at home. I think <laughs> at this point, I think I've come to terms with the fact that the quality of masking and projection at AMC theaters is so fucking bad that well turning out it. my lights and watching it on my television is a better experience wow. like eight times out of ten um but i like i don't know like there has to be some stuff that you want to go back to see in the big screen right like oh yeah absolutely kind of i mean i'm so happy that i saw uh Godzilla versus Kong totally wasted and on the biggest screen possible. Right. That was a great experience. I would not have gotten that at home. But at the same time, like back in November when I saw Tenet, uh -huh. right? Um, it wasn't a great experience. I like the movie way more than most people, but like watching that on my television off like a 4K disc, it's so much clearer than the shitty job that's being done at the mall. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and I think, it, I think it changes from place to place, right? Definitely. Like I have better, I have better experiences with Manhattan AMCs than I do with Long Island AMCs. Right. Um, it's, it, you, it's complicated. There, there's not really a film culture out here the way there is in New York. And while that film culture doesn't always extend to the big theaters, it's still, counts for something you know yeah there's also some theaters are better than others in in yeah, new york as well it's yeah and, and it, you know it really depends it also depends on who's running the theater at what time who's working there like you know how dedicated yeah the person who's running the booth is and that kind of thing the, the really bad thing about theaters reopening and movies starting to come out again is uh conrado there are four fucking marvel movies coming out this year do you have to see them for your job you don't i don't have to see them nobody has to see them <laughs> but people are gonna talk about them and they're not gonna stop um yeah i guess so i mean you, you can know. ignore it you're, you can ignore it but they're gonna twitter, keep talking so i'm off twitter but like listen it gets to me i <laughs> i work in a school and um... i take I mistakenly let people know that I the movie guy. Uh, like movies. And so now I take seven o'clock in the morning phone calls from gym teachers asking me if I think WandaVision is worth watching. <laughs> and you know what? They don't want to hear my answer, which is no. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but at, at least you have some, you know, quality family entertainment to look forward to in the coming days, don't you? 
yeah, um, I'm seeing Peter Rabbit too this weekend. Um, I'm very excited uh, because I'm reviewing it, and like I said before, I couldn't make it to a press screening, so I'm I'm trooping out on my own. You're gonna to see the it with the kids. To watch it. Are you gonna try yeah, to I'm go gonna, I'm, at a time? I thought you meant my kids, and I'm like, did I forget something? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm gonna see it with families. Uh, we're gonna have a laugh. Um, we're gonna see what uh, Peter Rabbit Two is up to. I'm just mad about that bunny. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki is in Peter Rabbit Two um, uh-huh. as like Mops Mopsy Rabbit or something like that. Oh, so um, her voice is in the. Yeah, uh, right. There are real people in this. Um, there are humans in this movie as well i keep forgetting that like it's uh those people uh and then then there's the james corden rabbit and then i think there's like a margot robbie rabbit and a um yeah it's like this is this is what i want this is what i want to be doing um so that's gonna be my first movie in theater since march i think um so what's your strategy are you gonna go at a time where you think kids won't be there to not be creepy or are you gonna you know just embrace it i i'm probably well i don't know um i'm gonna go whatever time is most convenient for myself <laughs> uh which might wind up being a friday at seven o'clock uh, which is going to just be filled with families. And you know what? I want to know what the people think. I want to yeah, be... Yeah, exactly. I want my ear to the ground. I want to know what it's like at this hype screening for Peter Rabbit 2. Yeah, who knows? You uh, the first one that. I think had like... The first one had like that controversy about uh, bullying people with... Uh, oh, with allergies. allergies yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, think, I think the rabbit... Uh, triggers Donald Gleason's allergies at one point, and it's like a funny thing. Uh, right. Yeah. The, how about you? How you how you feeling about movie theaters? I'm feeling. Uh, I'm excited. Like I said, I'm excited for movie theaters to be open, but I'm not super excited about what's playing yet. Um, yeah. So we're gonna cover in the heights in our in the other podcast that's on this feed with with Sajda, movie marriage, and. Okay. We are debating whether or not we should go see it in the movie theater, or we can just watch it on HBO Max. You know, so yeah, I mean that's kind of where I'm at with like a regular year, um, The Conjuring Three. I would be like day one, but now I'm like I can watch that at some point at HBO Max. It probably isn't good, but right. Let's check that. What is coming up? Like like you said, In the Heights is coming out. Oh, that's this weekend, huh? Usually, most other years, I am so on top of yeah release dates and this year i have no idea when anything's coming out oh uh zola's june 30th okay there's definitely uh, stuff down the road like i know that there's, there's a stuff. matrix movie coming out at the end of the year so that's in really december excited. yeah I, I the the back half of the year there's there's definitely stuff that i'm really excited for uh i am sad that uh because originally when the matrix 4 was announced it was announced to be sharing a release date with john wick 4 and right. that would have been the best day of my life <laughs> and it didn't happen um so john wick both, moved, both right yeah uh they both moved uh because yeah. they were both supposed to be out in may uh, um of actually it might have been may of either this year or next year and uh john wick 4 is happening at some point and then of course the matrix which again will be on hbo max but yeah, try and keep me from a theater for that. No, that's definitely a theater experience. That's a theater experience. I don't 
really like anticipate liking Dune very much. Mm. But I also think that that's going to be something that I have to go see on a big screen. But a lot a lot of the stuff I'm I'm happy to have at home. I want to support theaters. I want them to keep doing well. But at the same time, if I have to privilege like what's a better movie experience for me, especially as somebody who's easily distracted by audience members, just e- even when there's good projection, um, <laughs> uh, I have pretty bad ADHD and even people eating snacks can distract me. Um, so just like sitting quietly in my home at night watching a movie on my television <laughs> is kind of the best way to go for me half the time. Sounds like a good time to me. Yeah. 